sounds of noted American slacker Steve Malcolmus and his jicks. And this time another Fantasy Friday edition of Fangraphs Audio. Hello, I'm Carson Sestouli, and this is Fangraphs Audio. My guest on this edition, this Fantasy Friday edition of the podcast, is Alan Harrison, a contributor to Rotographs, where he mans the Wednesday and Thursday night editions of the Daily Bullpen Report, a new feature at Rotographs. Of course, in that capacity, Harrison has no little familiarity with the goings-on of bullpens at the present moment. And it's there we start with, as always, a Hector Santiago status update. Santiago's narrative is not particularly interesting at the moment. However, there are some Hector Santiago surrogates, relief pitchers with tenuous holds on the closer roles of their respective teams. You may or may not hear the name Dale Thayer in that segment. Same goes for Tom Wilhelmson, Rafael Soriano, and Frank Francisco. Moving on, we look at some players that have been promoted this week, notably Alex Castellanos, who's tasked with replacing Matt Kemp, recently put on the DL after re-injuring his hamstring. Due not to injury, but to the ineffectiveness at the Major League position, San Diego Padres prospect Yasmani Grandal has been called up and is likely to get the majority of starts at catcher for the Padres in the coming days. Grandal was hitting quite well at San Diego AAA affiliate Tucson. Also certainly mentioned in this episode, Atlanta Braves shortstop prospect Andrelton Simmons. Today, Friday, he makes his Major League debut after being promoted with other Atlanta Braves shortstop Tyler Pasternicki going the other way down to the minor leagues. All of that and more considered on this Fantasy Friday edition of Fangraphs Audio with Alan Harrison right now. The addition of Fangraphs Audio is uh, doing status updates on bullpens. Uh, I mean, either at least of which is the Hector Santiago status update, which has become less relevant in the, in recent weeks. But however, the spirit of Hector Santiago lives on. He um, Hector Santiago embodies all relief pitchers who have tenuous hold uh, a tenuous hold on their team's closing position. Um, wait, so is, I assume Hector Santiago isn't closing games right now. Is that true? That's absolutely true. Yeah. So, do you expect him to do it any more times for the rest of the season? Absolutely not. I think at this point, um, despite a, a few rough dips to the bump, Addison Reed has really got a good grasp on uh, on the closest role there in Chicago, and and I think you know a lot of the analysts in in the industry expected that to happen right out of the gate, you know, before Robin Ventura throws that curveball and put the man with the screwball on the mound in the ninth, but at this point, I don't, uh, he's going to have a good grasp on it for the rest of the season, in my opinion. Yeah. Now, last week we, um, because Hector Santiago was sort of far removed, as you mentioned, from the Chicago White Sox closer roles, we renamed the Hector Santiago status update briefly uh, to the Dale Thayer, uh, the Dale Thayer status update, because he seemed the one uh, who sort of most deserved that Distinction as a least likely closer in the major leagues at that time. Is Dale Thayer still closing games? At this point, he currently is. Um, however, Houston Street is on demand, and, and from what reports are saying, he threw a pretty serious bullpen session at Wrigley Field on Wednesday. Um, and if he felt well this morning, he was supposed to head out to uh, 
um, Advanced Day Lake Elsinore out here in Southern California to begin its rehab stint. And he didn't expect that he would be um, rehabbing long before he would be back with the Padres. So I don't expect Thayer to be closing um, any longer for another week, week and a half. Okay, you know, barring any setbacks, barring any setbacks from Houston Street. Yeah, no, and uh, I don't mean to put you on the spot necessarily. Uh, with regard to Street, is he eligible now, and and just sort of waiting to to get all the way better, or is he yet to be eligible to come off the DL? You know, I I haven't even I'm not, I'm not positive. To be you honest. just know for a fact that he's not he's probably not going to come back for a couple of days, but he's looking likely at this point. Right. Yeah. Okay. He, they're really happy with his with with his bullpen session on Wednesday, and. You know, honestly, from what I from what I understand, it was basically he was going to wake up this morning. If he felt good, he was going to shoot up to Lake Elsinore, which has been driving distance from um, quite a half north of Peco, and he was going to begin his rehab assignment up there. Now, uh, with regard to so so Houston Street is I, I mean he's what you'd call a a proven closer, a trademark sign. Um, he's probably he's definitely going to get his role back. Um, there are some other instances, like for example with the Yankees. Um, where a guy, a presumed, a presumptive closer, we could call him, uh, will be returning um, to that bullpen in David Robertson, but may not be getting that role uh, from Rafael Soriano, who's currently closing games. Is that the case? That's very true. Um, in fact, Robertson uh, had, a, had a bit of a setback and isn't expected to return back to the bullpen um, mid to late June. From that red cage injury that he suffered, um, and and Soriano has the experience. He has, he's done nothing to show that he deserves to be pulled from that role. He's six for six in save opportunities. Um, K for nine is up close to nine. Uh, he, he's had a bit of a trouble with command. He's walking too many batters, almost four and a half batters per nine. Um, but to be honest, he's got the experience, and there's there's absolutely no reason for Joe Girardi or or Cashman to, to suggest that Robinson should go back into that role. And so we're really now waiting to uh, till middle of June for Robertson to come back. You're saying? Yeah, middle to late June, from what they were saying this morning. Ooh, okay, yeah, uh, yeah. I guess that's sort of a tricky injury for a pitcher, right? That sort of uh, anything sort of in the torso there that uh, will affect your um, sort of rotation of of a midsection. Absolutely, you know, the way he torques his body to try to get that. A couple extra miles per hour is definitely going to have a, a large impact on his delivery. So um, I'm not sure that they want to rush him because when he is healthy and he's in there, he's, he's one of the best in the game. Um, so I, I think they're just trying to take care of his health first. And, and once he gets fully healthy, I, from what I understand, they're going to drop him back into the eighth inning where he's comfortable. And we'll, we'll see from there. Joe Girardi hasn't made any promises, but... He has said that he has no reason to pull Soriano from the closer role at this point. Now, as I mentioned, you uh, you were uh, one of the gentlemen responsible for the uh, the nightly bullpen report that goes up at Rotographs. Um, I was looking at the the closer grid um, featured in in those posts. Um, in the most recent version of it, I noticed uh, two names that that surprised me a little bit, or at least with regard to their statuses. Um, they're sort of a green light yellow light, red light spectrum meant to represent the, the stability, the current stability of um, the different closing roles. Um, one name I was uh, surprised to see at all in the closer role uh, was Tom Wilhelmson. Uh, Tom Wilhelmson, 
there's virtual unknown entering the season, uh, but I think established himself pretty quickly as a dependable setup man. Um, but it looks as though now uh, he has some claim to the to the closer's role in Seattle. Is that the case? That is the case. Um, Brandon League was having some difficulty in the closer's role, and despite the fact that Wilhelmson doesn't have any saves yet this season, he he does have that elite K per nine over ten. Um, good control, you know, hovers around the three per nine. And, you know, while, while Brandon Lee is experiencing those difficulties, why not test them out in the ninth inning? Because in, in reality, Brandon Lee is a trade ship come the trade deadline. So I do anticipate him, the Mariners trying to get him back into that closers role to kind of uh, showcase him, if you will, um, for potential buyers. But um, I think Wilhelmson at this point looks to be the closer after the, for the, for the long run. Now, so this is interesting. So you say that Wilhelmson actually hasn't recorded any saves, uh, but at the same time, um, he's in the closer role. Is this because of a, a, an announcement by Eric Wedge? Is that essentially the, the sort of news that's that's um, spur, spurred this? Well, I believe it's just trying to get some stability in the ninth, just like any other team. If, 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 you're, if your closer's struggling, it's a matter of pulling them back, trying to get them you know, mentally prepared to, to take back that role and, 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 you know, testing out somebody to see who can possibly take over that role if and when Brandon League does move on to another uh, major league team. Okay. And then another name that I saw that that, um, uh, that was lit in red, which is suggesting a certain amount of volatility, is Frank Francisco uh, for the New York Mets. I believe Francisco's been the that team's closer since the beginning of the season. Um but uh, this would suggest here that, that, that maybe his hold on, on the role is not uh, particularly strong. Right. Well, they do have proven uh, – the settlement man, John Ross, is in, is in New York, obviously, and, and he has some experience closing. So um, perhaps if Francisco isn't able to hold on to that role, they can slide Roush in there. Additionally, Bobby Parnell it seems to be um, – or they were trying to make him the closer of the future there in New York, but he had some difficulty at the end of last season, um, you know, nailing down the saves. But at this point, um, Francisco, he's earned 14 saves this season. His, his, his Ks are up. His, his walks are up additionally, but I, I don't know. I don't see him losing the role, and, and you know, unless he can, you know, implodes completely. Okay, so so we consider his, his hold maybe uh, tenuous, but for the time being, it's his. It's his to lose. Correct. I think it's more or less that there's there's proven um, pitchers behind him that could take over that role, which is kind of you know putting more pressure on on him at the time. Okay. Yeah. 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 That makes sense. Uh, of course, he lost it. I think. I'm trying to remember when he was with the Rangers, maybe now two or three years ago. Uh, Francisco was the closer in Texas, but then. I think he lost that role pretty quickly to. I think it was Neftali Feliz at the time. Yeah, I can't, I can't recall off the top of my head, but that that sounds about right. Yeah, I, and asking us to use our memories is probably not the smartest smartest maneuver. Yeah. Um, uh, what now? One one pitcher uh, that I'm interested in, and perhaps uh, I don't know. Perhaps it 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 just was sort of one of these irrational. Um, you know, the, these are rational attachments you develop to a certain player. Um, 
but is Michael Clayto. Michael Clayto, I believe is how you say his name, perhaps it's Clayto, uh, is a very hard-throwing right-hander who has uh, who pitched mostly in a starting role coming up through the Cardinals system, um, made a brief appearance last year, and has pitched exclusively in relief uh, at AAA Memphis this year, and he was just promoted. Uh, now, he's one of my favorites, mostly because he throws 98, and has actually had decent walk rates except for in the high minors, but... I think he had like an 8% or whatever uh, so far this season. Um, I'm not sure how well acquainted you are with Michael Clayto, and I'm not sure um, uh, what you could tell us about uh, the Cardinals' uh, bullpen situation, but I'm interested in both of those uh, answers if you have them. Sure. Um, I don't have a ton of information on Clayto simply because he hasn't been um, up in the bigs that often, but I do know, like you said, his stuff is absolutely electric. He does have that that fastball that really sits in the 95 to 99 mile per hour range. Um, multiple scouts have clocked it over 100, up to 102. Um, he does have uh, a slider that sits in the 80s, which is which is lights out as well. And he has a crazy, crazy 91, 92 mile per hour um, pitch that some people call that changeup, or he calls it changeup, but pitch FX somewhat classifies it as a two-seamer. Um, the guy is absolutely amazing. Unfortunately, he does have control issues, like many pitchers with with the with the type of delivery that he has. He does more of like a almost like a like a merry-go-round type of delivery as opposed to your, your traditional uh, from from the ear. Yeah, um, I would say that he was like uh, you wouldn't say he was quiet mechanically. You probably wouldn't say that, you wouldn't say that he was quiet. Yeah. Uh, he, is, he is the polar opposite of quiet. Yeah, yeah, he's yeah right. He um, which makes him entertaining, I guess, to watch, um, provided he's throwing some strikes. But yeah, I mean, it seems like anytime you have a pitcher who's sitting in the high nineties, that's interesting, right? I mean, with, with few exceptions. I remember there was a pitcher for the Tigers, Matt Anderson, who managed to be pretty terrible while sitting in the high 90s. But generally speaking, I think that if you're sitting in the high 90s, you're going to be pretty decent. Yeah, well, I mean, that's simply why the, the Cards wanted him. Um, they, they saw that, that, that heat, and they said, well, we're going to try to harness it, get his control down. Um, and it looks to have, have worked a little bit this year. Last year, his, his walks were absolutely insane. He was walking almost eight guys per nine to the – uh, when he was at the big league level, mind you, that was just in three games. But at AAA, he was still walking, you know, five and a half guys per nine. Um, and, and like you said, his mechanics are so loud. You know, he falls off the mound when he's when he's throwing. And if, if this guy can, you know, come back to the to the Cardinals this season and, and just kind of develop some control, I, I think he has the ability to, to to make a lot of noise in that bullpen in St. Louis. Yeah, and I will say. Uh... Of particular note for people who are involved um, in in daily leagues, uh, in daily points leagues, especially where where saves and where saves uh, are not as important. Like a, for example, an auto new league uh, in the staff auto new league, um, it's a linear weight system and it's a daily system, so um, you can really uh, swap starters in and out from your bench into the starting rotation. Uh, Michael Clayto qualifies as a starting pitcher, uh, and I know. Um, that for me this season in that staff league, using starter-eligible relief pitchers 
has has I think given me quite an advantage, and I don't see um, you know I don't see my opposition doing it uh, as much as I have. But with a sort of mediocre starting rotation, I've managed to have uh, one of the highest um, points per points per game appear or points per inning pitch uh, uh, rates. Uh, simply by utilizing starter-eligible relief pitchers, um, and uh, you know the my competitors who listen to this podcast, they'll know. Um, you know, but fortunately, most of them are uh, lazy, uh, and uh, and they despise me uh, mostly because I talk about it, uh, how good my team is, so they don't listen to the podcast. Uh, so uh, they're not finding out this valuable information, Alan Harrison. Is that because you're still in first place? Is this true? Oh yeah, very much so. Yeah, yeah, very strongly in first place. And uh, um, now you're not in the staff league, but many of the other representatives from Rotographs are in the staff league. Uh, and so when they're on the Fantasy Friday edition of the podcast, as you are right now, I remind them what place I'm in. Well, I'm, I'm lucky I'm not in that league right now because I'm sure I'd be well behind you in your in your strategies of. Yeah. Middle yeah, it would be awkward for both of us, I think, as it is uh, as it is in most weeks. Um, now, a couple other uh, interesting. There have been a number of interesting promotions besides Clados, probably slightly more high profile than Clados. Um, eh, let's see. What's uh, these are all sort of interesting, but I guess maybe in terms of potential uh, impact, uh, maybe Yasmani Grandal is uh, I don't, you know is, is he sort of at the top of that list? A catcher. Was in the red system, but now he's a Padre. Right. Love this kid. He's really got the ability to hit 300. He's got some gap power. And I think anybody in 12-team mixers and deeper really need to be considering him. Um, he's probably owned in NL only at this point. But you know, catcher is just one of those quirky positions where it's hard to find a 300 hitter. And that could really help save one of your categories. Now, I know Dick Hundley has actually been a decent catcher, um, certainly in terms of park-adjusted numbers, um, but also his raw numbers have actually been, if I'm not mistaken, pretty decent. They certainly were last year. Uh, Grandall's coming up. Where is Nick Hundley these days? Um, I think he's with the Padres, though. Yeah, I think he is with there. the Padres. He should, he should be still with the Padres, but um, I, they're not going to call up Grandall to sit on the bench. Um, he's coming up, and he's going to get some burn right away. Um, you know, they're struggling. They, they've definitely, you know, they set the middle infield on fire. They got rid of, uh, you know, O-Dogs and whoever else was over there. I can't even remember some other veteran who is no longer involved with the squad. But they want him to start right away. He's, he's a top prospect, like you said, that came over from in that late toast deal, and he was blocked in Cincinnati. So Padres are going to give him a go, and, and he should produce right away. Yeah, and actually, uh, allow me to uh, very much correct myself. While Hundley was uh, pretty good last year, he appears to currently have uh, an OBP and a slugging both below 300. So that's probably right. something that's instigated the the Grandall call up. Um, where do you sort of situate for you? Where do you situate Grandall among the sort of um, uh, I guess more high, high profile catching prospects? I guess both in terms of true talent and also sort of in in terms of park adjusted talent. Um, uh, one of the competitors in that in that conversation would be Devin Mezzarocco, which is the reason Grandal was expendable. Um, I think probably another one would be Willene Rosario, um, who's getting some playing time in Colorado and, and will probably get more as the season goes along. Um, maybe there's some other names that are in that conversation of talented young catchers. 
that are currently in the majors, I, I think you touched on three of the bigger ones. Um, obviously, you have Jesus Montero up in, in, in Seattle, but he's terribly defensive, defensively as a catcher, but he now does have catcher eligibility, so you, you obviously need to take advantage of that. Um, Coming up and up, you have uh, Travis D. Arnold from the, in the Blue Jays system. He's currently in Las Vegas. He's absolutely raking right now, and he needs to be monitored very closely in leagues that you know, aren't able to own him quite yet. Um, but that, that, for me, that's really about it. I think I think Grandal is is one of the, is, is one of the guys who are going to give you that that 300 average, that gap power. He's going to hit a bunch of doubles up there in Petco Park and. And when he leaves Petco, he's going to have some opportunities to put the ball in the seats. Uh, I really like the kid at bottom in a bunch of leagues already, honestly. Now, you know, one thing that I always have a trouble with, and I'm interested in how you feel about it too, is a difficult thing is with regard to the Padres. They have a single-A team, or their California League team, um, plays in Lake Elsinore, as you mentioned, and that is a great hitter's park. And, of course, they're playing uh, in the California League is full of great hitter's parks. Their triple-A team is in Tucson, which is also a great hitter's park. And that team plays in a number of other great hitter's parks. And then you have the transition from those two. Um, and uh, their double-A, I think, is in San Antonio, which is maybe league average. Um, so it's not – it doesn't uh, – I guess it doesn't distort um, sort of true talent numbers quite to the same extent. But you have a lot of players coming from from one or the other, triple-A or, or, or high-A, and they go to Petco – which, especially for lefties, but for most players, um, uh, you know, is uh, is going to deflate their offensive numbers. I wonder for you do, if you have any sort of rules of thumb for dealing with that, or do you just look at translated stats? How do you do? How do you go about it? Well, you just can't get too excited about it. I think the same thing happened with Anthony Rook last year when he came up to the Padres. He got a, a quick cup of coffee, and despite the fact he was raking down and on the farm, he came up to the Padres and really struggled. Um, you really just have to understand where the players are going and what ballparks they're playing with, playing in, and, and take that into consideration when you're when you're trying to acquire them. I'd much rather go after a guy who's going to be going to a hitter's park, but if um, you know, like Grando hits his line drives and gets his doubles and bats 300, I'm okay with it, especially from the catcher position. Oh right, that yeah. That, I guess really anything you can get from the catcher position is is you know is going to have value, I assume. So um, now listen, uh, Grandal has been called up um, because of ineffectiveness, just really among all the Padres players, uh, but certainly the catcher slot. Uh, uh, not too far north of there, Dodger Stadium, uh, Matt Kemp has had to go back on the DL, and the way that Ned Coletti. Um, and the Dodgers organization is handling is that that is by promoting um, from AAA outfielder Alex Castellanos, who lesson number one is not Nick Castellanos because Nick Castellanos is a Tigers uh, is a Tigers uh, prospect and a pretty highly thought of one. Alex Castellanos um, not quite as famous, uh, not quite as highly rated, but does he have any sort of value for people who are looking for outfield help? Sure, he definitely does. Um... Castellanos is going to be playing in, in, a, in a pretty decent lineup. Obviously, they are losing their, their, their biggest guy in Mike Kemp, but um, does he have eligibility at other positions, too? I, I feel like he maybe has some, like, second base or third base eligibility. Am I completely off on that? You might not, but you're an, you're an expert. You're a fantasy expert, Alan Harrison. So <laughs> I, 
I mean, so well, I guess it depends. It's gonna, it's also going to depend on the format of your league, um, and also like what you know, um, what site, right? Because uh, frequently see Yahoo and CBS Sports. Um, if a player is promoted, they might have different classifications or different position eligibilities. Right. Now, I'll cut them off. I don't think he's going to be um, obviously as powerful as Camp. You're, ne- you're not never going to replace a, a five-tool guy as easy as that. But I think you'll see some decent average, a couple stolen bases, score some runs. Um, definitely serviceable in, in 14 teamers and deeper. Okay. Yeah. And so, so you actually don't mind him. Uh, you say uh, 14. 14 teamers. Um, is there any like where, where would you sort of put him at his level? Like a like another player that's existing already. Like you know like who would he be basically at the same level as? Uh, um, Just to torture you with a difficult question. Yeah, I have no clue. Barry Bonds. <laughs> no, yeah. Would you say he's like a Barry Bonds type? Is that what you'd say? Uh, Absolutely, just a little bit like a little bit less power. Okay, but, all right, you know, yeah, yeah, duly noted. Barry Bonds was a decent comp. Decent comp, yeah, okay. Well, maybe maybe Barry Bonds now. We don't know what Barry Bonds would do were he to come back. I mean, he'd still probably be decent. Uh, he'd still probably take his walks. Um, now, what, another player, uh, the sort of the, the third in this triumvirate that I mentioned, um, that is uh, going to be making his, I guess, major league debut tonight as. Um, Unless he unless he did already, but I, I don't think he did. Is uh, Andrelton Simmons? Andrelton Simmons, the defensively gifted shortstop for the Atlanta Braves, um, was promoted in a corresponding move that saw uh, Tyler Pasternicki get sent down to the minor leagues. Um, Simmons actually kind of made an interesting case for himself um, during spring training. The, the Braves ultimately went with a player who, while slightly younger, Pasternicki. Um, had more experience or any experience at all in the high minors. Uh, and in fact, Simmons will be making his, uh, his major league debut tonight. Um, I'm curious what, what Simmons, uh, how, how he sort of, uh, rubs you because, um, he's not necessarily, his, uh, offensive upside isn't huge because he doesn't have a lot of power, but it's all, he's also qualifying at shortstop, um, which in itself is a position without much depth. Exactly, and and that's where that's where fantasy owners are excited about, you know, especially with Troy Tulowitzki going down. I've been getting a lot of questions lately about who am I going to get to fill in for him, and, and the answer is no one. You're not going to get that type of impact from from the waiver wire anywhere. But you know, Simmons, uh, like you said, is a great defensive prospect, um, and, and offensively, I, I think if, if he hit 275, uh, stole 15 to 20 bases. I think that's what we can expect from from the rest of the season. Um, other than that, he doesn't like you said he doesn't have much power. Um, he's actually a former pitcher, so who knows if any of one of those funky games come around again, they could toss him uh, back into the bullpen late in the game and, and have him hit 98 on the on the clock again. Now I don't know. I um, I wonder if there are any studies to this effect. And um, off the top of my head, I can't think of any. But I do wonder if a player like um, Simmons, you mentioned, who has been converted uh, from pitching to the field, um, another one who um, comes to mind, I believe, uh, uh, well, of course, is, uh, Rick Ankiel is another one of them. Um, and there are a couple other players on that, that list that have, been, that have converted from one position to the next, um, especially on different sides of the ball. Uh, 
uh, if there's a if the development pattern for a player like that might be different. Um, so you know Simmons, uh, it was a possibility he would have been a pitcher. He converts to hitting. Um, we could maybe expect his offensive game to mature uh, in a slightly different way than a player who's been, you know, playing the field uh, his entire stint in the minor leagues. Right. I, 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 I couldn't agree more. He is just really um, starting to develop that hitting skill, I think. Uh, well, I mean, not starting to develop the hitting skill, but, you know, as, as a former pitcher, um I think he's just starting. He's going to have to get used to the, the the transition to the major leagues, and it's going to be challenging for him. But um, I, I look forward to it. And I, he's another guy that I added in a bunch of leagues, um, only because of the, the lack of depth at shortstop. But um, yeah. Oh, you know who else converted positions? Like Raphael Lee is a converted uh, fielder, a former. Oh, okay, um, right, right. Uh, Dooley, who's a relief pitcher for the Cubs. Right, as well as Carlos Mama was a, was a former uh, fielder as well. Another convert, the Cubs converted both of those guys to relief pitchers. Right, right, right. Um, and, uh, of course, uh, Sergio Santos. Um, I remember right. actually seeing, I lived in Missoula, Montana at one point in my life, and uh, Sergio Santos was a, was a shortstop for the Missoula Osprey, which is like the... Uh, it's a rookie league team for for the Diamondbacks. Um, yeah, right. And then, uh, but you do, you do see do see that, of course, Matt Bush too, who, you know, until a month ago, uh, was sort of an interesting relief possibility for the Rays, but managed to um, to damage his, his chances there. And you know, I feel like he, he was actually one of my students. Matt Bush. Matt Bush was one of my students in my first class here when I moved to San Diego. No, he wasn't. Wait, it, uh, yeah. so you were? How old was he? I mean, he, was he like a, he was a middle he school was a, student? He was a he was a he was a senior and had already been drafted when I had started at Mission Bay High School here in San Diego. Oh, okay. So you were teaching at high school then? Yeah, I was when I first came out here. I was doing like an internship at the high school. Interesting. Kind of almost like a student teaching type of thing. Now, I mean. Uh, um, we could. Uh, I like to paint with broad brushes. Uh, it makes it easier to understand the world. Uh, generally speaking, I think of the talented high school athlete as maybe not particularly invested in school anyway, except as a means to the end of, you know, uh, especially if you know if he has major league prospects. And in case, uh, in this case, he did certainly because he was the first overall pick. Uh, did you sense anything beyond that though? That you know, just from knowing him, that he wouldn't necessarily, or that there would be problems for him? No, I think overall he was a good kid, and, and like any other high schooler, he, um, you know, had fun. Uh, he comes from a very athletic family, very supportive family. Um, you know, some challenges here and there that have been well documented, and Justice Hahn wrote a huge piece on him, um, which I didn't completely agree with all of what he said, because I, I kind of know the family a little bit more. Um, it's actually his sister was the point guard on my basketball team, um, the same year, and um, he, he, you know he, he was a good kid, and he, he got through school, and and he you know, got led in a couple wrong directions. Obviously, had some outside influences that helped him get there. But you know, as, as much as I, um, I I despise him for his recent actions, you know, I, I still have some sympathy for him because I I did know him right before he was, you know, exposed to everything he was exposed to. Yeah. 
Right. And it does seem as though some of the things that he, uh, I guess it was maybe for some of his uh, earliest transgressions, uh, you know, maybe immaturity could be to blame. Uh, this is speaking oh. as, as very much an outsider. Um, and it seemed like at least the narrative uh, was able to sort of bend to the fact that those were, you know, youthful transgressions. But uh, it's probably made it harder for organizations and fans to, uh, I guess, to forgive him for his most recent transgressions. Yeah, I, I definitely think uh, I agree with you in terms of the, you know, mat- the maturity level. But, I mean, you get an 18-year-old kid who gets handed a large stack of money, and if there's no one really there to kind of guide him or to kind of help him get his priorities in line and put his money where it's supposed to be, you know, who knows what who knows what could happen? Or this could happen. That Bush could happen over again. Right, 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 right. You know, I, I know in other, I know in some other leagues and in the NFL or, or I think I believe in the NFL they have like mentors and they have people who kind of they go through like rookie camps, how to speak to the media, how to do this, how to do that. And I think that's something that if Major League Baseball doesn't already do, I'm not sure about that. They they should definitely consider. Yeah, well, there's certainly a uh, you know a sort of uh, public relations aspect to that too. I, it's in the best interest of the club not to have to deal with that. Um, I think I think the biggest thing for Padres fans regarding to that was the fact that they passed on uh, Jared Weaver and Justin Verlander, notably because of, uh, of their agents at the time. But um, at this point, when you look at the money invested in, in Matt Bush and, uh, and the, the outcomes of the aforementioned Weaver and Verlander, um, the Padres would definitely go back and spend that money at this point. Yeah. Hey, uh, well, listen, Alan Harrison, uh, it's been a pleasure to meet you um, and to, to talk about some, some fantasy baseball with you. And then I really appreciate you having me on today. Look, look forward to talking to you again soon. All right. Uh, listen, I'm going to invite you for some uh, adult conversation immediately f- uh, following the recording. But for now, I'll say thank you to you. Uh, that has been Alan Harrison, who does our bullpen report Thursday. You said Thursday and Friday, was that it? Wednesday, Thursday. Wednesday, Thursday. Okay. Uh yeah, Alan Harrison in charge of our of our bullpen report on Wednesday and Thursday. Uh, I am and will continue to be Carson Sestouli. And this has been our Fantasy Friday edition of Fangraphs Audio.